know, every to have personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person or child Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Mm-hmm. This is Jinzai, one of the, uh, the co-hosts. I think what you're trying to ask is, uh, why am I so insistent? He's coming. Y'all just bear with us. We're uh, uh, running through this audio. Slight technical difficulties, but we are on and live this morning. Just bear with us a few minutes. Just running a few minutes behind again, working on this audio, and I am Twymika Hill-Jones, probably known as Zendai, one of the co-hosts. we got quite the show coming on today, so y'all just be patient with us. And special thank you for our special guests that are here with us this morning. And thank y'all for y'all patience too, honey. <laughs> Having some audio issues. All right, Queen, can you hear me? Yes, sir. You are live and on the line. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, y'all. Forgive us for this rough start, but we're going to make this thing happen. Uh, welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show again. I am your host, Montoya Smith, aka Black Socrates. My special guest co-host, Jadai Tamika Hill Jones, is holding me down. Thank you, Queen, for doing that. We have a special Absolutely. guest on this morning, returning guest, um, Casey Venice. Thank you, Queen, for doing this again. I know you out and about. You're not in the ATL with us this morning. I know you were up early in the morning trying to hold us down while while slaying dragons, because that's what you do, Queen. And so um, but before I introduce you, I'm going to go ahead and um, let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question, because I want to get into it, especially with the rough start. This morning's discussion question is empowering black youth. Do we really care? Uh, again, before we introduce Casey, Jendai, thank you for co-hosting, but you have a background in this area as well, and so you are part of our Queens of Intellect cadre, and I particularly chose you because I know you help with the youth as well. So give a little bit of your background to the intellectual outcasts out there listening. Highlight what you uh, – I know have some upcoming stuff when it comes to mentoring with you, so if you can highlight that briefly, and then we'll introduce Casey and get this thing started this morning. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, indeed, um, and it's really dope that this is coming up because, yes, my coming-of-age rights of passage is about to reignite itself uh, under, under the umbrella of Project Butterfly Dallas uh, and the nonprofit of Women Divine, where our mission is to provide mentoring and culturally rooted programming, you know, to prepare the girls of African descent for their transition from, you know, adolescence to womanhood. Okay, <laughs> so I'm really, really uh, excited about this piece um, because it's, it's so important that we cultivate the youth to become, um, you know, leaders in our community and responsible uh, adults as well. So that's just like in the short of it, you know, because I know we need to keep it going. But absolutely, I'm excited oh. to be here and looking forward to, uh, you know, being able to elaborate that even more on that and hearing from my guests. Uh, absolutely. Casey, thank you, Queen, for getting up early this morning and rocking with us. Uh, with that said, if you will, tell them about what you do in your background. Um, this is pretty much how you make your living, which I wanted to highlight that briefly. I'll let you tell more of your own background uh, from the standpoint of that's, a, in my opinion, a whole nother level of helping the youth. I've mentored over the years. Every now and then I'm fortunate enough to come out and exist with your program, helping empower youth, um, again, stealing some of your thunder. But if you will, Queen, um, tell them what you do, um, especially as it relates to this morning's discussion question, empowering black youth, do we really care? Well, good morning. Thank you all for having me. Um, I am also in the quietest place I can find right now. It's about 2,000 people here at this conference, but I am the co-founder and executive director of Help and Empower Youth. Um, the city knows us as Hey or Hey Atlanta. Um, and um, for me, it's just been a natural extension of the work that I've done for the past 20 years, and that is uh, working in nonprofit and what I always call school and community adjacent. Um, so we're Regardless of where I found myself um, employed, I always worked with um, black youth in and out of schools and in those communities. Um, and in 2009, along with my co-founder, uh, Coach Boyd, uh, we started this organization as a way to continue to serve um, some of those young people that were completely forgotten about and kind of pushed to the side for many reasons. And uh, Montoya is correct. Like, this is... What I do full-time, um, I have a sociology uh, degree and background, um, and for me, the activities that we do um, is a way, it's a tool, actually, um, for us to do the real work, which is to illuminate the latent effects of poverty that black male youth experience, um, and then also provide options and opportunities for them to um, break the generational poverty cycle and find ways to um, be sustainable and to thrive and to hopefully give their family members and their community members and peers an opportunity to do the same. No, love it. Thank you for all of that background. I think it is absolutely needed for the people to really understand. Uh, for those who are first-time listeners, we do try to bring on experts in the field, and you can't find one better, in my opinion, just from a personal standpoint. But, again, so to w I watched them transition to doing this full-time programming, literally um, five to six days a week, five to seven hours a day with the youth that they help. Um, if you saw the promotions, um, I've had, again, I said she's a returning guest, so I definitely highlighted what Help and Empower Youth was doing um, during the pandemic. I was slightly aware of them from their book um, fair that they have yearly, and that's kind of how I first met Casey, if you will, um, through, through some other friends. And so I was always a bigger supporter of that because books changed my life. And so that's kind of how I would watch from afar, if you will. And then I watched them just to kind of highlight this, not to go too deep because we've done a whole show on this, watch them step up 
And for those who've heard the term water boys, which they're in other cities as well, but kind of got popular. And I don't know if the word is popular or whether it may be infamous for the way some people heard about them in the news here in the Atlanta area, especially during the pandemic as more and more of our youth, uh, mostly young men, some get young ladies as well, out on the corner selling water. And at one point, um, deemed somewhat of a nuisance. That was kind of the way that they were going to go. And I watched Casey and well as her um, co-founder, Coach Boyd, step up and offer an alternative that the city had to listen to, and they was able to avoid those youth regularly getting taken to jail to take them off the corner. It did happen to an extent on some occasions. I know Casey could give you firsthand stories of having to get youth out of the prison or whatever, but it was it didn't become the standard like they intended because of the work that helping empower youth. Um, did so. I just always want to kind of to highlight that. That's not going to be today's discussion. If you want to hear more about that, we got the two shows. We did the show when it first happened, and then we did a show a year later when y'all had gotten those young bo- young men off of the street, and some of them now have their own water distribution company thanks to the work that helped empower you. So I just had to highlight that to get this show started. Um, running my mouth, we're going to do something a little different uh, versus going to a commercial at this point, which we typically do. We were fortunate enough to have KC uh, at our live experience. For those who know, we do a once-a-month event at a black-owned coffee shop. Shout-out to Urban Grind here in Atlanta. It's a live experience. It's not necessarily meaning recorded live for you to watch on video or anything like that. We just do it in person. It's called the Mental Dialogue Live Experience. We had Soapbox Dialogue. Soapbox uh, allowed intellectuals like Casey, she got on her soapbox and presented a soapbox to us. And so I'm going to share that with the audience, and it will be the foundation for this morning's discussion. So if you tuned in, clearly you care about youth. And we're going to dig deep. Casey, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to play some devil's advocate just so that the conversation can go a little deeper because you know I am team Casey. I am team Hey Empower Youth. Uh, but this dialogue will go deep because there's a lot of things that people think about when it comes to the discussion. I think we got to go as deep as possible to, you know, have some nuance that I think can move the needle if that makes sense. With that said, we're going to. Sit back, Jindai, and we'll, we, matter of fact, Jindai, I'll give you your first thoughts because these are Casey's own words, so you'll be the first to respond to what you hear. We'll be right back as we listen to the soapbox from Casey Venny. This was just a week ago. Poverty is expensive, which means doing good has to cost. And a lot of times we have removed ourselves fully away from the struggle and the challenge of what it means to live in impoverished communities, where even as a people, we begin to place very mainstream expectations and judgment on some of the least of these, our most vulnerable, which happen to be our youth. Primarily, black male youth, with the expectation that because their physical bodies present as adults and grown folks, that they have the minds of adults and mature folks. And we treat them based on their physicality and not on the maturity of their psychological being, growth, and development. But also, more than that, we, t- we don't take into account the fact that a lot of times the actions that we see from black male youth who live in some of the most impoverished communities in our city is the fact that they are also members of families that have generational poverty as well. 
which means their grandmother's grandmother's grandmother was likely in poverty and just scraping enough to get by. That creates a psyche, a psychology that's passed down through words, deeds, actions, responses. And it's also something that Dr. Joy DeGruy talks a lot about in the post-slave traumatic syndrome. And in that, what we see is this idea of epigenetics, which means trauma is embedded in your DNA. So regardless of the fact of education or being able to move from bankhead to blackhead or wherever it is that you choose to be, what we find is that people still respond in a certain way because our genetic code gives us a predisposition of how we're to respond, how we're to react, how we think about things, how it makes us feel. And when we remove that and we just expect for young black boys to do right, to be right, to respond correctly, but not understanding where they come from, and even what their genetic code and makeup is saying, then we do them a disservice when we say that we want to serve them. And so when we say that poverty is expensive and doing good costs, it's not just the cost of mentoring programs and the cost of after-school programs or athletics because we really don't pay attention to our black boys unless they got a ball in their hand or a microphone in their hand. The doing good means that we have to also dismantle the narrative that we have created in our own minds even when we look like them. A lot of times we forget that there are folks who did not have a chance. Dr. King said something that sticks with me so profoundly because we tell our black boys that as long as you get an opportunity and as long as you have options and as long as you get an education, you can make it out the hood. You can make a better life for yourself. And the adage is that you want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But it's cruel to tell a man to do that when he has no boots. And what we can't do is make the assumption that because you had an opportunity, because somebody came back to get you, that somebody has done that for every young black boy that's still in the hood, that continues to move through life doing the best that they can, and no one is stopping long enough to say, we understand that it is a traumatic experience to be poor, it is a traumatic experience to have generational poverty in your family, and when we can remove the judgment, then maybe we can begin to see them exactly who they are and we can meet them where they are and then give them the resources necessary for them to move past the trauma and move into thriving. Because our children are living in a state of emergency. And when you're in a state of emergency, you can care less about what is happening the next moment or the next day. You want to be safe, killed, fixed right then. And so we have to move not just from thriving to surviving, we've got to get them out of a constant state of emergency. And when we're able to do that, everything else that we want to put in place will then make sense. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Team, along with special guest host, Jendaya. Our special guest is Casey Vennings, as we hear her soapbox Sorry for the audio, y'all. I hope you can make out most of that, Jendaya, but I wanted you to, first time hearing it, just to hear your, of hearing Casey's soapbox from last week's um, live experience. I thought it was solid. Um, it was definitely on point, even the piece about um, speaking on epigenetics, the things that are in the core of us. 
Um, I, I especially love the part when she was like, you know, they're responding, we're responding in like a state of emergency. Because for me, I just had a similar conversation with some sisters just last night about how we are responding like to the youth with these expectations uh, uh, that are almost like unrealistic. You know, the way that they're being viewed and things like that when it comes to poverty, like they just ought to know better or do better. Everybody got a choice, you know. Thinking that that because somebody pulled you out, that uh, somebody came back and got got them as well, they become our responsibility. Just like whatever turns your light on, uh, stepped in to help you out. And so for me, I completely get it and agree that if our needs are not met, it will trump our values. You know, so when you're dealing with kids in the hood, inner city kids. Like those things you keep at the forefront of your mind. A lot of times we're making these assumptions that, oh, they wear Jordans. You know, they pay for what they want and not what they need. Again, that goes back into the epigenetics. But if you give them the tools, if you show up and they genuinely know you care, this is how we shift things uh, uh, in their communities and within their lives. And that's our work. That's like the work of the people on the line. No, I love it. I mean, it goes to the heart of the issue, and I'm just going to highlight this and let Casey kind of jump back in here as she hears your response. But even to highlight the quote-unquote, and I love you even putting this out there, but even to highlight they wear Jordans, right, that concept, the reality, and Casey can speak to this vividly, while you will find some who quote-unquote are poor, come from desperate situations wearing Jordans, the reality is the majority of them don't. But it's just something that we say right. because we look because we look at how some of them value that. I'll give a personal story and turn it over to KC. A, a personal story: when I was very young, growing up, very modest. My mother taught me to save money. My grandfather taught me to save money. Grew up, my, stayed living with my grandparents till I was eight years old. So I had a lot of values, a lot of values. And I, you know, people where I'm from will say I turned out okay, if you will, right? Um, was it in the inner city, but just small country living, if you will, um, if you you know, to a degree. But um, to shorten this up, at the end of the day, I remember the first time I actually worked for my own money, right? Like I would always, my grandfather was a workaholic, taught me to work as well, you know, have some level of discipline, if you will. But I finally, you know, stepped out there. You know, back then they would pay young people under the table or, you know, you just do something on the side and somebody pay you. And I remember whatever I did, I earned, it was my first time earning, you know, $60 outside of working for people in my family that would pay me for stuff, right? First time working, getting money from someone else. I literally, because I had never had these, you know, like real, my mom couldn't afford like the nice shoes, if you will. I literally got my grandmother who would do anything for me, take me to the mall, and I got these Nikes. I was, I think I was like the eighth grade or ninth grade or something like that, and I was so proud to go buy these Nikes. How about with tax? They cost $65. I had to get my grandma to give me the other $5, right? <laughs> yeah. I had to get her to give me the other $5. And I had, you know, I had great values, but the culture outside of the home had me desire those things for a lot of the reasons that KC speaks to in that piece. And so while I'm not never going to stand in the Jordan line ever again, never, no, never have actually, let me say that, I still remember those days when things you value things that we look outside looking in wouldn't consider important important and when we start judging I could have been judged just like some of us do those kids if somebody knew mm-hmm. I spent my last sixty dollars nobody knew I did that but had they known they'd be like why are you spending your last sixty dollars like I laugh at it now because I know better 
I do better, right? Casey, if you will yeah. jump in again, I didn't mean to prolong that example. Sure, right, but I think I could just throw the insert right, right quick. A lot of yeah. times, okay, there, a lot of times we're getting. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to throw this in real quick too. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we're, we're spending time on those things that are irrelevant, right? Um, because those a lot of times those sneakers be knockoffs, but they look real good and her hair be done because her sister did it. You know, <laughs> it's like we got to get past those nuances and get straight to the work. Okay, come on, Casey, what you got for us? <laughs> no, I think you all hit it, um, you know, the nail on the head, as they say. Um, a lot of times what you see these young people striving for, um, I also put accountability and onus on adults. Um, the thing that I usually say is you tell these young people they should not want and covet uh, these expensive items and that if they are in opportunities where they're making money, why why spend your money on those things when you have a need for housing or food or you know, you live in the hood. And then I challenge adults, though, because my thing is that you did a whole unboxing on your Instagram story in real of how you went Ooh, and dropped wow. money, you know, um, yeah. at the mall just because you could or because <laughs> you wanted to. And some of y'all financial situations are in disarray, but you feel like you mm. have to keep up as well. So if that's what you're doing as a mature adult, what makes you think that these young people are not going to find their confidence and their self-worth in the very things that we are promoting both intentionally and unintentionally. And so what I tell people is that these young people aren't wanting anything that we don't want for ourselves. You just don't think that they are worthy based on their zip code and their family socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And so for me, mm-hmm. it's about telling the hard truth and making sure that people are coming to the table um, honest about their own um, pre-presumptions um, and their own misconceptions and assumptions about these children because it's not that what they want is wrong. You just don't deem them worthy because they're poor. Ooh. Yes, Hard hitting. <laughs> in the face. You ever talk down <laughs> on these kids? I hope you feel slapped in the face right now. Let me stop. <laughs> Casey that came on here and just brought the heat because it's how you look at it. Here's here's the thing though. Here's the thing. Um, I don't know if you, if you've never heard anyone speak like Casey speaking about the perspective. I am challenging because again this is do we really care? So I am challenging as you heard her break down that brilliant soapbox that she did. Thank you Casey for doing your soapbox at the live experience by the way. Uh, but with that said, um, she went to the core of it. Our dialogue, what I, what I always say is when it comes to whatever, quote, unquote, issues we have in the community, obviously today's conversation is about the youth. But what I say happens, unfortunately, in my opinion, way too often is we're having dialogue simply about results, and we take sides on the results. Or this, you know, they should act this way, or obviously someone that's in the field like yourself, Casey, is going to have a lot of empathy and um and say, well, no, you know, you'll give corrections based on your your actual daily interactions with the children like you're doing with us right now, if you will. Um, and so the back and forth quite often is just the results of, oh, why did they do that or they shouldn't – well, no, they, they'll say the, they shouldn't do that, which is a dialogue about the results. Rarely are we having a conversation about the why because I think the why is what turns it back on, as Casey says, the accountability, right? Like I have a um, piece in my new book, The Re-Education of the Negro, that says these parents today, and I break down in that particular dialogue how we often say these kids today, 
right? These kids today is what we <laughs> say. And I said, no, I say these parents today. And for me, it's not even simply took Casey's point within that same piece. She talked about the generational stuff. So it's not even, for me, it's not even just simply to to put blame on the parents. It's a, it's a piece that makes you think. It's to highlight that what you see is a result of what we've given them as a society. So whatever issues we may have with our children in any area, to a degree, whatever issues we think they have, we should, look, be, in my opinion, be able to look at the mirror and say, hey, what have we done or not done that makes makes them be in that situation? And it could quite, it could absolutely be what you just talked about, Jediah. I mean, Casey, in that piece, the difference between what how you act in survival mode versus when you're able to thrive. Those are two different things that all humans we all can experience, and we quite often forget if we're in a place of thriving now. Casey, as a guest, I'll kind of throw that to you, and I'll let you respond to that as well. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it goes back to what we know as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, And a lot of times what we find is that young people, because they're not mature in their thinking, that they don't always know how to prioritize or articulate what their needs are. And so then we see them making choices in their behavior um, because they don't have the words or the experience as a point of reference to say, no, this is what I need. Um, And for young people, what we realize is that a lot of times at this age, the um, approval of their friends is going to always rank higher than anything that makes good sense, honestly. Um, And that's not anything that is different from any other child, be it rich or not. And so once we realize that um, the self-worth and the self-esteem that young people are getting, even from their peers, is what drives some of their actions because they're looking for acceptance, then we'll get a more firm understanding of how do we then counter that or how do we put them in environments where their peers are making um, more wise choices on a more regular basis. Um, No child is ever going to get it right. But if we can figure out how to get them around people that are going to make better choices, then they, in turn, will begin to make those better choices as well. Oh, absolutely. That's why I'm nice to got my, my, my whole $60 the first time I worked. My whole $60. <laughs> All right, Jadon, your thoughts, Queen. I agree with everything she said. That's why our work is so important, you know, with being able to um, – uh, help them out in their environments and putting them in different environments around other, you know, other people and children, you know what I'm saying, that can um, uh, show them something different other than what they're used to. And even when it comes to those, those needs and, and who to hang with and what to do, our work is what cultivates the character and integrity of these kids. It fosters the resilience and the self-determination and just recognizing even their positive behavior because some of them don't have that. And that alone gives them a belief in the future and gives them the tools that they can use and put into place to do something different, you know what I'm saying, to evolve like those behaviors, to completely shift them. You know, that's like the power of the work. No, and the reality is for everything that y'all are saying, here's the part that we sometimes forget. So everything y'all are saying, hey, we need to do this and we need to do this, the reality is how many of them parents want aren't aren't doing those things and some not able. Here's a here's a um 
response I got this week because I ended up asking, you know, um, for example, during the promotions, does the community unfairly stigmatize our youth or can the parents fairly be blamed for the problems we see? That was just a question that we asked. Here's one of the responses I got got this week, and um, Casey, I would be curious at your response to this. She says, I do believe that the parents are responsible. So much stigma and trauma comes from that particular route. I'm living it, and I'm trying to break the curse from my adult age son who thinks like a child in this adult world. Let me say this real quick before you respond. What I hear in that response, again, just to someone who wanted to come onto the show but was, left me a comment because she couldn't. What I hear in that, she's basically um, recognizing the culpability, if you will, of having, I would say, quote, I'll just use this word for for lack of a better word, good parenting and how vital it can be. But she's also speaking to the generation piece that you spoke to, Casey, saying, hey, I'm still trying to figure it out. My son's an adult and we're struggling with this, basically admitting I have my issues from parenting. I also now have my issues in how I would want my son to turn out. That's what I hear in that mm-hmm. comment. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, why community so is think, important. Absolutely. I, and for me, I think that this is where I sometimes live in the both end. And what I mean by that is that, yes, each individual person, parent, um, caregiver, has a responsibility to do what they can and do the best by their child. And in a lot of times mm-hmm. that is making sure they're doing good by themselves. My, my and in outside of personal accountability is that it is difficult to give what you don't have. And not that yes. you don't have the essence yes. of what is good for your child. You don't have access to the resources to have a sustainable mm-hmm. life. Here's the thing. When you're constantly living in a state of emergency, you don't get the luxury or the peace to forecast yes, or to dream about tomorrow, next week, next year. I got to figure out how I'm going to get you from these 24 hours to the next. I will worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. And so when you're always in that mode, you don't always have the opportunity to give your children the foundational pieces they need to make better choices for themselves as they are maturing and as they're growing. That is where uh, society and community has to also play their role and take accountability because when you have mm-hmm. folks who live in a city like Atlanta that is still number one in leading the nation in the largest wealth inequality gap that we have, and we have the worst affordable housing crisis in the nation, we have failing school districts, what, what do you expect a parent who has nothing to give to their child? Now, you can give them a good moral. You can tell them to say please and thank you. You can make sure that if they bump into somebody, they say excuse me. But at the end of the day, you do not have the tangible resources to reinforce the rewards that come from good decisions. And so when they find folks in community, i.e. drug dealers, hustlers, scammers, who have the tangible resources to reward following instructions, following directions, getting in line, getting in the fold. Now, what they're getting in the fold for is not productive, Mm -hmm. but the principle is still the same. We put too much value on words. 
And so games offer what we as communities should be offering our children, which means I don't care what you do. I'm still going to take care of every need that you have. And because we don't care about black children and black boys in particular, we don't find them worthy enough to say, I don't care what you do. I'm still going to care for you and make sure that you understand that there is a reward that comes from doing the thing that's going to be productive for you. So while I applaud that mama for wanting to do right by her child and make sure her child can break a generational poverty, that is not that mama's fault unless we're going to give her a livable wage, unless we're going to move her out the hood and make it accessible for her to do so. But the problem is people get rich off of poor people. And as much as you can say that that's not what we want to see in our community, there's a lot of black folks getting rich off of poor people and they're going to keep them in the situations they're in and keep allowing this mama to think that it's all her fault. Hey, strong hmm. stuff. We're up against this break, um, so we're going to go to this break. And Casey, I'm going to want you. This cut you've heard before, so I'm going to challenge you, and I'm just challenging you to hear past because you're very defensive of these children, as you should be. Again, I love what you do. That's why I help you with what you do. I'm just challenging you in getting past a portion of the dialogue because you've heard this before, and I, it's a portion of I know will kind of trigger you, and there's a bigger sentiment that I want to dialogue about. So just kind of, I'm just kind of warning you. Um, after you hear this commercial, it's going to be a Charleston White cut or whatever. You know, he's famous for in, in, um, in seeing, you know, in being incinerary, if you will, but there's a deeper dialogue and there's some background I know about Charleston for people that know him to know how much he truly cares about kids, even though it, you know, as you hear this, it will, you, you will hear him push some, some, the envelope like he always does in a way that may trigger you. So I'm just kind of highlighting, preparing you for that so that we can have the bigger dialogue and not focused on the triggering part. Again, just walking through this conversation. We'll be right back after this break. The words you hear after the break will be from Charleston White, and we'll get into that dialogue. For the callers that are out there, if you want to get in on this morning's discussion, you do have to press 1. I see you out there. If you want to get in, 646-787-1691. You do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. Hey, are you a wine drinker? Uh, a little bit here and there, but but my wife definitely loves her. Why you ask? Man, you got to try this vegan wine by Sip and Share Wine. I ran across them at this event in Atlanta, and now I keep me a few bottles at the house. What, what flavor you like? Um, I mean, I like me a good red or, or maybe a nice dipping gel or something. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Try the sweet red first. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's nice and smooth right there. Yeah, that's kind of sweet like I like it. You know what I'm talking about? For sure. That's why I like that one as well. Hey, hey now try this Conjure dipping gel. This one was featured in Forbes magazine as a top 10 drink for the summer. See what you think. Oh, okay. Now, that's fire right there. Where can I get a bottle of that? Just go to SipAndShareWines.com. They'll ship it right to your door. They black on, too. Oh, yeah? Okay, you said what? ShipAndShareWines.com? Is that it? Yep. Bad. Now, you recently um, was in Atlanta. You ran into the Water Boys. Yeah. And you feel like all the celebrities and wealthy athletes and people who are in Atlanta should have been, got them off the street. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about billions of dollars in one city, one area. Some of the richest celebrities we've known in history are in Atlanta. And to see on all sides of Atlanta, homie, that they don't have no program for these kids. Because they ain't selling water. Let's just get that straight. They ain't selling water. Nigga, they standing out there begging. They standing out there plotting for a robbery. 
They stand out there plotting for a purge snatching. They out there waiting on a murder. And everybody's riding by, locking their doors. So now they've gotten to the point where they're starting to resent, right? We looking at it like, oh, man, these little niggas is aggressive. They're aggressive to the Bentleys. They're aggressive to the Rolls Royces. Because in their mind, man, how can y'all pass by? They kids, so they can't process this. They just know they're coming from some conditions, and they buy Lennox Mall. So they're in Buckhead. So they're everywhere, homie. And y'all passing by, maybe handing out $5, and there's 10 of them. So they circling the car. They starting to resent y'all. Sooner or later, they're going to start robbing. They're going to start taking. Y'all ain't going to create nothing. Man, you niggas go to the strip club and throw $250,000 in the air. 50000 but take 200 kids off the streets. $50,000 would take 200 kids off the streets and start a business. Horticulture, landscaping, pressure washing, car washing, detail. Home building. Uh, man, there go your workforce right there. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Jendaya Hill-Jones, our special guest, Casey Bennings. This morning's discussion question, empowering black youth, do we really care? Jendaya, I'm going to have you jump in first. It's like we lost Casey on her phone line, so hopefully she gets back in here. Uh, but um, I don't know if you've heard that cut from Charleston White floating around the Internet, specifically way back then when, again, the water boys were an issue. Um, but I really wanted to highlight that helping empower youth, the things that he said in the end is exactly what they did. They actually took some of the boys and did the things that he talked about at the end. But um, but first, I'm assuming first time hearing that. But just any thoughts about um, Charleston White's perspective of absolute, just kind of running into the water boys, if you will, you know, in a visit to Atlanta and how he saw things based on um, Atlanta, quote unquote, having, you know, being the black Mecca and having all these celebrities and things of this nature. Um, and, my, and, and I only highlight this because I'm not one who just puts it on them that they should, quote unquote, save our community. However, I do respect a lot of what he said in that conversation. Your thoughts, Queen? Absolutely. I, I agree. 100 on what he told that. <laughs> you know, I remember being that voice uh, when I was working in inner city schools and when people want to throw them kids to the wayside and, you know what I'm saying, and be like, you know, ain't nothing you can do with them, forget them. I used to tell people that. I used to be like, either you're going to step in or bring somebody in and help them kids or it's going to be you they're going to pull up on. You know what I'm saying? And not necessarily the person, but that's what it will go to because, again, it goes back to if your needs are not met, it will trump your values. So you have to, it's important for us to invest in our youth, you know, and I get it. It ain't all the celebrities' responsibility, but if you have the means to do it collectively, like we need to get together and make something happen within our own communities because ain't nobody else coming to save us. Ain't nobody else going to do their work. We're going to have to be the ones to get in there. And if you're not equipped to be the ones to run the programming, then, you know what I'm saying, fund those that are. I was just looking at somebody, somebody tagged me in a post up in New York, well, they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring these drag parades into schools. 
You know what I'm saying? And we are here, you know what I'm saying, saving lives and investing in these kids and rights of passage programs can't even get 10, you know, can't even get 10K to, you know what I'm saying, to, like, show up. So it's important for us to prioritize our youth. And so he's on to something. Either we're going to come in and take care, you know what I'm saying, do our work to assist these kids and transition, help shift these lineages, or, you know, yeah, again, if they needs ain't met, It'll trump their values, and it can go all wrong quick. And we often, and this is what happened, and, again, this is why I love helping empower you. Again, I hope we get Casey back on. But what I, what I, we get focused on, um, as if you, like you remember, he was kind of mentioning how aggressive they were, right? And so right now I can go through Atlanta and just randomly, quote, unquote, talk about the water boys, and people are going to have – some of their own experiences with them, good, good and bad, right? And some mm-hmm. who've not had an experience, but only go off of what they may have saw, seen in the news. Like anything mm-hmm. else in life, right? Bad news travels further, right? And so yep. there's a picture painted, and I and I say picture painted, not to say they saw in the news did not happen that were negative. You know what I mean? Like like I'm absolutely yeah. willing to own that. But we don't realize we're getting sold a narrative. Or, for example, when Mayor Bottoms at the time was bringing that ordinance down, people really on both sides of it based on some of their own experiences. Because, for example, there definitely were corners in which you roll up, and it might be five boys around trying to get you to, you know, buy their water, if you will, in an aggressive manner absolutely can understand how that's intimidating. We did have a couple of examples of, um, you know, even one kid getting hit, which was kind of the way they were moving, you know, that type of thing. That was the issue. But what helped it empower youth, and I watched them do this firsthand by going out there with them, with the boys in their area, in their corner, they simply showed them how to do it more professionally at the moment because what happened was when the ordinance was coming down, it literally was going to be just police intervention to move them off the corners. There were people who were like, yeah, that's kind of smart to do. Luckily, KC and KD, KD stepped up with helping empower youth to go to the council and say, and this is, think about if you put the perspective on it, Dendaya, this is after George Floyd that this is, the ordinance is coming down. And so they literally go to mm. the city council saying, mm. you, you really want police intervention with youth that are some, many of them are selling water to, to help pay their bills. Do you really yep. want it to be simply a police intervention as the only way that we handle this? And they mm. paused and said, it, and, and, and so at least from my viewpoint, let me see if I got Casey back on because I definitely don't. Well, let's see. Oh, dang, we got it back on. I was hoping she could kind of pull it, kind of pull in and explain this part. But either way, um, what they were able to do is say, hey, let's see if we can be out there with them and make sure they don't do it in a dangerous way. And that's literally what they did. They literally got them like little vests to make sure they could be seen. They taught them not to all run up, do it one at a time, your turn this time, your turn this time. And because at the end of the day, they still needed the means. So it wasn't just simply let's go take them off the corner because those kids still needed the means, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so that Absolutely. approach, that approach stopped the 
the ordinance being simply just take them off the cur- just take them off the corners. And this it was so impactful, Jendaya, that literally I've been to other areas. Mm-hmm. I've been to other areas in Atlanta that in Pepperton Power personally hasn't been able to, you know, talk to those kids and saw them improve their game, which shows how the right information spreads even yeah. outside of where you've been able to directly touch, where I literally remember one time, I never forgot to end up taking a picture. This was over a year after they had started teaching the boys. Who ain't, and, and to their credit, their boys are off the street if you will, off the corners now because they go to their programming with them every day, right? Like that's where they're at with them. Mm-hmm. They At that point, they wasn't there. They got some funding. Um, matter of fact, I need to hook you up with Casey. She's the queen of getting funding if you're trying to get funding for your program. Oh, I was hoping to be able to do that live on the, you know, how we like to connect people live on the air. And so, yeah. So absolutely would have, um, you know, loved to, um, get, well, I will get y'all connected. I would have just loved to do it on the air. But anyway, I'm saying all this to kind of just walk through the work that it required versus all of us, if we wanted to, could sit back and agree or disagree with the ordinance or what the news said, which is what often is done, right? We just have dialogues about, oh, they should, oh, we got to let them out there. or No, we shouldn't be out there. Like, that's the dialogue stops there. People like yourself and KC actually go do the work. And to your point earlier, can we at least, to Charleston White's point, Exist those yeah. of you that are in the field. Your thoughts, Queen? That's it. That's the work right there. <laughs> you know, all that was solid, and that's how, like, I love the fact of how, like, good news spreads fast, you know, or should I say gets gets around, because that's what we need more of. A lot of times we get caught up on what's wrong, you know what I'm saying, what has caused this imbalance, the disharmony, when we need to be focusing on how to restore that imbalance, you know what I'm saying, how to restore the balance. Uh, and the harmony in various situations. The police was definitely not a good call on that point because that only makes the situation work. And you see, Empower showed up, right? They showed up. We have a solution. And they went out there, and then it sounds like it was amazing. It worked out great. And they didn't just go in and go for the juggler, like get off the corner, because they do understand that this is a means for these kids. But it eventually evolved when the kids didn't no longer have to be on the corner because there was something else that they could do as well, you know. And so stepping out on the corner helped them to also create trust, right, because they're showing, like, look, I completely get it. I can stand in with you. I stand with you. And a lot of times that's all. That, that's what our kids need. They need to know that the people that are surrounding them give a damn, you know. They absolutely. need to know that they absolutely. give a damn. Let me do this. Let me do this real it. quick, Queen. Let me, yep, absolutely. Let me jump to a break. We're going to play another Charleston White cut to respond to, but I want to highlight exactly what you're talking about coming out of the break as well. We'll be right back. We're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. 
become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. I went one time, I seen it. Man, I see how the people in Rolls Royce, they might throw 20 out there and get on back, get real. And then I see how they acting. Man, the little nigga might be looking to snatch a purse. So we all scared of each other. So we scared of our children. Children of the corn. So I went this last time, homie, and I was with some celebrities. And and we was by Lennox Mall. I said, golly, boy, they way out here by Lennox Mall. And, man, I, I, I had seen where they had circled. I, I saw the car that they went viral that they circled. They all got I saw. I was there. I saw that, right? So when I come through, man, stop in the middle of the street. Don't know. Man, stop the car. Man, I let the window down. Say, nigga, y'all come real. She come through the door. You can tell which one might rob. Here, nigga, where you potting at? Man, I'm here by myself. I don't fuck with no bunch of niggas. Here, nigga, here go file out. You get your ass. Say, where's y'all come over here? Say, nigga, matter of fact, give me, put your phone number, my number. Call me, little homie. What's your number? What's your number, homie? Man, give me your phone number. Homie, man, this fucked up. So, shit, nigga, uh, I'm going to go put together something. So, I got one I call every week. I send him some money every week. Here, man, here go here go $100, nigga. Here go give 50 to your mama. You went to work today? Nah, here go 100 then. Just hold off till I get there, my nigga. Get you about five or six niggas, nigga. I'm going to buy y'all some lawnmower, some weed, some trash bag, some glove. And, nigga, y'all start y'all a lawn crush service. Mm. And then from there, nigga, mm. I'll show you how to get a pressure wash. Where you can start pressure washing the gum at the gas station, homie, because it's an environmental hazard. New game, my nigga. I'm going to show you some new game. Let me talk to your mama. She right here listening. Hey, mama, I'm sorry to be cussing like this, real, But, I, yeah, it's about making the connection, homie. And ain't nobody trying to connect. They pushing them little niggas off and driving by. So them little niggas resenting that shit. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. It hit home, right? It hit home. Breaking down the reality of giving out a couple of dollars, which I've done, $5 for a bottle of water, and drove on, right? Mm-hmm. Not considering. And he pointed to the same thing you pointed to, the connection part. So I want to highlight, again, I love what Help and Empower you've done, seen it firsthand. And I remember when they mentioned, hey, we're not going to, we're going to step in on this ordinance. Here's the concept. We got some, they're going to give us some time to see what improvement we can show before they, because the the ordinance was still possibly on the table, right? It was just them stepping in saying, is this really, what we want to do. Do we want police intervention? And to your point, when you say just stand with them, the thing that was most unique to me, I, and I've, I mentioned this at the live experience last week, I was, I did an after-school program, right, uh, for years with one of my best friends because I love children. But in doing that program, those kids, kindergarten through sixth, sixth grade for the most part, some middle schools as well, but those kids, we had been with them for years at this point, right? And so whatever mm-hmm. was said, kids did, no problem. Obviously, we care about them, teaching them values and things of that nature, teaching them STEM and these type of things. But following suit. And so when I went and got on those corners with Help and Power Youth, when they first said, hey, we're trying to help with this thing, the thing that was most unique to die 
Mm-hmm. And they was out probably out there long. They probably was out there more than I than I was. You know, as for you know, I was kind of hitting it once a week. They was out there daily, but I would try to go out there once a week with them based on my schedule. But the first, the most unique thing was the first three times they died. We didn't tell the kids to change nothing. Just stood out hmm. there with them. Hmm. I'm peeping. I'm <laughs> peeping it. Right, peeping it. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it was, other people would volunteer and come too. Right. And yeah. by nature, some of the adults are wanting to kind of direct things. But I would say I'm just going to follow, the, you know, these, the, you know these, the, they've been running programming for way longer than I have. I'm just going to follow suit right. what the leaders do. Fine. And three to four weeks turned into, and we, and we bring food now. We're bringing them food every time, building the camaraderie. camaraderie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it changed how they ran up on nobody. They didn't, you know, they didn't just, just they didn't just bring death out there the first time. You feel me? Like that ain't yeah. what happened. Yeah. And when I saw that part, and I was like, "That's the part." When we say, when I ask the question, "Do we really care?" That's the really part for me in the this morning's discussion question. Because yes, sir. Yes, sir. to Casey's point that she's been speaking to the epigenetics, the you know, the survival mode. And what she always says is even though she has a command of a lot of those youth on her, on the West side of Atlanta, for those who know about that side, cause that's where they're at. Even though she has a command of a lot of those youth, what she said last week was she still gets that, especially the ones that don't know her yet, that they don't mm-hmm. trust her and why they don't trust her based on their background. Yes, like, mm-hmm. like that stuff matters versus Spitting out of value and saying these kids don't care about nothing, which is something many of us yes. often said in a dialogue about the results of what these kids today do. We just kind of reduce to jump that. In on that. Go ahead, please jump in. Yeah, when you when when you're hearing that, and then, you know, when people are saying like they don't care about anything, they don't want this and they don't want that. One of the things that I try to get people to understand is is that they need to understand when it comes to inner city youth, especially, they're so used to people coming and going. You understand that they don't trust it when you show up. You know, so they're not motivated mm. to even you know respond uh, to whatever it is that you're offering in a positive light. Just the way like like how you all showed up and with the food and and, and instead of just jumping in, just taking over the block in in, in quotation. You know what I'm saying? Let's see what they got going on. Let's see what they need. You need to see how these kids move before you can even just try to jump in and take over. And a lot of times we just want to come in and tell them this is how it ought to be done. When people have been doing something this way for the longest. You know, and it's like you, you're trying to undo something that has been there. And so being consistent and making sure that they know that you give a damn, that's what shifts things. And rather than getting stuck on, you know, oh, it's the parents' fault, their parents ought to do better, how they going to be out here like that, let me tell you something in this work. In this work, I have witnessed children, okay, become the examples for, for the adults, for their parents. That's how you shift lineage. Mm-hmm. The youth is capable of doing that. You understand? Right. I, I realize that my work yes. with the rites of passage, like we at first it was kind of like, dang, I'm over here raising, you know what I'm saying, transforming caterpillars into butterflies and sending them home to caterpillars. Until the mama started coming to you talking about, see, I need a rites of passage here. You know what I'm saying? Like, sis, oh, my gosh. You know, and have them rethinking and undoing some of their own epigenetic experiences. You understand? So there's power in that. And there is a ripple effect. 
in that work where all parts are vitally important, you know. No, let me and let me talk to this. I would, and I would have loved to be able to ask KC. She's at a conference, y'all. So she may have had to jump off earlier than than expected. So um, just to highlight this, but I would love to. Ask yeah, her. I hate KC. Do this work, so live. Can... I love her, honey. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, we got a uh, yeah, we got a second guest, second hour guest set up to come on in the next hour as well. So we're definitely going to continue this lively conversation. But with that said, I would have loved to ask her, but I'll ask you. Um, I personally went through this experience, always caring about you. I would, even when I was a counselor, I was a youth counselor by the time I was like a junior in high school, that kind of stuff, just always caring about youth. Uh, went into the military mm-hmm. when I um, got stationed in South Carolina. I was in the military for six years. When I got stationed in South Carolina, I would I was a mentor at two schools, not just one, right? Like literally one. Yeah, yeah, have yeah. to go to give me, you know, give me kids to mentor and that kind of stuff. And after three years, here was here's my reality. And because I mentioned that I ended up, you know, being after school instructor for about seven years, but I had, but I had a break, and here's how my break took place. And I would love to hear your thoughts to this. And I would, you know, again, would love to have been able to ask um, Casey this. So after three years of mentoring, speaking of the caterpillar, you know, into a butterfly, going home to a caterpillar. So in my three years of mentoring at those schools, at one school I would just get one student in particular. They would just give me, you know, one troubled student. Then the other school I did a class. But the school with the one particular student, um, I realized when I first started dealing with the student, they were so amped at just getting the attention, right, from a male figure because obviously that's usually what's missing with the ones that they would give me, right? And so mm-hmm, they would mm-hmm. be amped. And so let's say if the kid had a bad week at school, then, you know, they could talk to me and I might get them in line, if you will. Or sometimes they might even call me when I'm not there, yes, right, sir. to kind of say, hey, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, he'll listen to, you know, they call me yeah, Mr. Montoya before, before, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But I would notice after about five to six months that I would have less of a, an effect. And by the third year, it took mm-hmm. a toll on me. I had one kid that I was particularly able to help, but I ended up – Inviting him to be in our Black History program, so I got to know his parents. So that helped even more. Yeah. That kid, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 that was the the one inspiration. But throughout it, what I ended up starting to realize was what I'm sharing with them on a one hour basis, once a week, is not being refor- reinforced all the other mm-hmm. hours of the week, especially even at home. Mm-hmm. And so once they, in a sense, even got used to me. The attention gets normalized, so although they desire it and want it, they they kind of revert back to the training they have at home. And so for me, mm-hmm. it burned me out for a period of time, and I said, I'm moving away. And they hated it. It was like, you're one of our best mentors, one of the best considered. And I honestly told them, I'm not seeing the true effect by the end of the year. Yeah. You know what I mean? By the end of those years, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. personally had to step away. And so it's like I wasn't rejuvenated until lots of years later to do the program that I did and was able to see those those better effects. But here's the reality. It was an international charter school, so lots of different groups, and I was able to see huge differences in the children that had the, the parents who were in a position to, you know what I mean, do what, you know, what parents yeah. want to do versus, you know, mm-hmm. the students in that school who didn't necessarily have that. It was a clear-cut difference. But to y'all point, it's not always as simple as 
that parents should do better, which is what we like to do. And so I'm kind of saying yeah. a lot there, but I'm also highlighting the personal struggle with the lack of understanding what it takes to actually make the relationship vital can't be done in a once-a-week mentoring program. I still stand on that, but it's mm-hmm. just that was my reality. Any thoughts to that? Just wanted to hear what you thought about that. Absolutely. I, I can answer that. I mean, I've been doing this work over 15 years. I've had several burnout moments, let's be clear. You know what I'm saying? And you get frustrated because, yeah, it doesn't look like anything's happening. But what I've learned because I have been in this work for so long, and maybe this can be a motivation to anybody else that's in this work. Well, first, let me back up. I've had it, too, where, like, the parents are not involved, right? And so, yes, that is a different struggle. But for me, if you trust me enough with that kid and you ain't going to be there, I got it, right? So what I would do is I would create other means of, one, I'm dealing with a mix of kids, so they can be influential to each other. I got some that's crazy as rocks, you know what I'm saying? I got some smart as a whip, but also the teachers knew that they could come to me, right, because at the time I was working inside of schools. So when they were out of line, they would come to me. So they were able to see me uh, on a regular basis, which is completely different than, you know, like outside of that. Um, So in other words, you create the community that they don't have at home to show them something different other than what they're experiencing. And then it eventually turns on. I've had experiences, Montoya, I had a baby sitting on my couch last night. She's 33 years old now. When I really got to the point where I just didn't know, I was like, I've been doing this stuff for years. And remember, most of this come out of my pocket. I'm giving up my time, energy, and my family. You know what I'm saying? Which I'm doing better about, just for the record. But what I learned is when you provide a foundation, it may not turn on right then. You understand? Right. <laughs> Once they move right. through the world or whatever, I have witnessed my girls have come back to me in their twenties and now thirties. You understand? Nice, I love and it. I, no, I love it. We're at, we're at the top of the hour, so I'm gonna jump this and get our new guest on. Uh, for the other callers out there, sorry to cut you off. Uh, for the callers out there, if y'all want to get in on this discussion, y'all do have to press one. If y'all are just enjoying listening via the phone, one, not a problem one. at all. Yep, absolutely. Press one. We'll get you in. We're gonna get brother Der- Derek Standerford. On. I'm going to play a quick commercial, and then we're going to play his soapbox from last week as well and then introduce him um, to the audience. So y'all bear with us. The audience, is, the audio is not as good as I would like for it, but it's so good, y'all got to try to um, push y'all through it. So quick commercial. We'll hear Derek Standifer and bring him on as a special guest. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. And there's a quote by Frederick Douglass. He says, it's better to build strong boys and girls than to repel broken men and women. 
And that has been my mission ever since I started doing this field of education. I've made it a mission to increase the confidence in our young black boys and girls because there's a shadow over them. That when, you know, when it comes to thinking smart, when it comes to being intelligent, it's always associated with being white. Mm. And our young kids right away, every time, every time, you know, our young people get out their first dolls, their first action figures, their first cartoons is always white characters, white heroes. The smart people are always the white ones, and the and black people are always depicted in this demeaning light. And there, there's a push, there's a mission of mine to build confidence in our young black boys. Because our young people, our young black people don't understand that they come from the people that invented thinking. You know, we have this disdain this, this, this when it comes to being associated with Africa. I ain't African. I'm not from Africa, I ain't African, but you know, we, we know our true history because you know, they lock our history into a, a box of slavery, so all we think they come from, uh, from Africa is slaves. But once we teach our young people that Africa was the world's, was the world's library, everybody around the world came to Africa for wisdom and knowledge and, and, and advancement. When we teach them that, you know, they develop this confidence. Um, I have two beautifully troublemaking babies, and I make sure I include them in every aspect of representation. So, you know, in my household, in my household, there's not a God. There's a God and a goddess. Because I feel like, you know, when we leave out the goddess aspect, my daughter's left out and she feels inferior. You know, there's this concept of with Eve being the downfall of mankind, women are blind for all the, the, the dysfunction that's going on in the world. That affects her, that affects her psyche. She's growing up with this concept of Eve is the downfall of all mankind and I'm a woman. She takes that with her. So my, in my household, is man is God and goddess. And they're black. You know, I had, um, my daughter had an argument with somebody from the white girl on the playground. She said, God, God is black and God is black too, just like me. I said, there's so much power in that statement, just taking back the pride in being black. You know, I get tired of young black students in, in school telling me what they can't do. Oh man, I was a geometry, I can't do that, that's too hard. So the educator, I came up with this slogan, I am African, not African. I'm claiming that back, I am African, not African. So thank you a lot for one of my Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Denjaya Hill-Jones. This morning's discussion question, empowering black youth, do we really care? Again, sorry about the audio, but that comes from our special guest, Derek Standifer. Uh, thank you, King, for being with us this morning. I love that comment. I am not African. I am African. I love it, brother. And so if you will, introduce you to the intellectual outcast. Just give a quick background, and we're going to continue talking about what we just heard from you in this morning's discussion question, um, empowering black youth. Do we really care? Thank you for being with us, King. Hey, can y'all hear me? Yes, you're coming through loud and clear, brother. Okay. Loud and clear. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you for this beautiful opportunity to serve. Um, I'm a big believer that God and God has given everybody some gifts, some skill sets, and some talents, and it is our mission to serve using our gifts. So thank you for this opportunity, one. Uh, my name is newly minted Dr. Derek Standifer. Um, I just graduated. I completed a long, arduous journey from the greatest university on the face of the planet, FAMU. Um, I just earned my PhD. Hey, Rattler Strike, Rattler Strike. Come on, Rattler. Come on, Rattler. So, uh, so yeah, it's been a <laughs> Y'all journey. stop that. Y'all um, be doing that stuff on here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, so, just, yeah, just because you done met a fella who's rattler. Get out, get out, get out of here. Let me stop. Hey, <laughs> hey. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, it's something about being on the hill, man. They they breed us right. I think, I, I, you know, as, a, as an educator, I tell all my students, man, the value and beauty of going to an HBCU where you never feel like a minority. You know, our, our young black people need to understand what it feels like to not mm-hmm. be in the guise of a minority status. 
And fam, you taught me the pride of being black. I remember my my first my I had Jeffrey Mills and Dr. David Jackson and all my professors and it, um 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 Reggie Ellison and Darius Young, all my professors taught me the beauty of being black, pride of being black, where we come from, that it wasn't just a, a box of slavery. So I took that with me and uh, it developed my confidence and now I use it to, to, to build confidence in my kill in my children and also the children that I that I come across with. Um one of the slogans that I use, I am African, I African. Just a you know, we got to claim that back, man. We got to claim that back. So that's my intro. Um, I'm a proud full-time single father of two beautifully troublemaking babies, Ayana and Derek Jr. Um, I'm biased, but my babies are some genius based off, based off the methods and the, and, the, and, the, and the lessons that I've learned at FAMU. And, you know, I can say my <laughs> kids are genius all day, but all of our young black kids got the ability to tap into their natural genius. And it's my mission to get us to tap into it. No, I love it, brother. And um, and 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 in the way, I mean, if it's probably clear and evident, um, in a sense, your energy is just, um, it's, it's it's amazing. This, you know, let me say that to you, is, you know, in, in your energy for our children. You know, that's how I picked you out. I saw you at a spoken word event, and your beautiful young ba- troublemaking babies, as you like to say, um, you know, both did pieces as youth at an adult spoken word event. So I was like, man, I got to get the kids at my event. They're awesome. And so thank you for allowing, you know, your children to perform at the live experience. Thank you for getting on your soapbox. Uh, again, hate the audio. Hopefully, you know, it's probably was tough for people to hear out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's your passion for what you're talking about now that I all personally, I'll say this, that I personally highlight quite often, in my opinion, is the missing piece to some of what we were talking about in the first hour, Jendaya. Let me connect the dot and see what you think of this queen, and then we'll go back to Derek. But the missing piece, to a degree, is for all of the hierarchy of needs that have to be met first, right, before we can get into the higher thinking. That's a reality, so I'm not changing any of that. But I'll say the missing piece quite often is the lack of sending our world, our children into the world where they may be treated or in a space of being minorities, right, just based on where you may live, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. They're going in the world with not, not, in my opinion, a great sense of self, and the disconnection, in my opinion, is – not realizing the role that history can play. Like we have a a way that we look at history in which we consider it boring, right? But we don't understand why every culture passes down their own history, right? Every culture does it, whether it's verbally, whether it's written, it's because we don't understand what, in my opinion, how history is used properly as a tool to equip with personal esteem and connection to the culture, whether that be an ethnic group, a state, or even a country. And so without that understanding, sometimes we skip over or leave it to the public school system to educate Mm. on history. And I say, if nothing else, if you are forced, you know, not fortunate enough to go to HBCUs like you and Derek, that type of thing, or your children going through a public school education, every parent, must figure out some type of way to equip them, their children with enough of themselves, seeing enough of themselves in history so that they are better yeah. prepared for what they may experience in the public school system. Your thoughts, Queen, then we'll go back to Derek. And, the, and a lot of times our kids find history boring because they're not in it. 
You know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not showing up in the history. Also, when you start talking about lineage, a lot of times the stories got so bad, they stopped telling the stories, and that's how we winded up keep repeating them. You know, so that's why it's so important for us to have these Sankofa moments and going back and fetch it to give our kids, you know what I'm saying, our joys and struggle as a people to learn from and go from. When it comes to, like, programming, it's it's so important for us to provide, you know, mentoring and culturally rooted programming for that very reason. See, this helps us, uh, it, it helps them to develop like a positive self-esteem, you know, self-image, uh, emotionally, physically, and socially. Like when you move like a process that provides a framework for self-actualization through like affirmations, reawakening, and the rebirth of who you are, okay, as guidance, structure, and opportunity, this helps you, helps you to achieve that very thing of identity, you know, learning and knowing who you are and believing in, in who you are, like, this, that changes the game. You know, a lot of times we out here telling people, you know what I'm saying, you know, you got to go find yourself. No, you just need to remember who you are. And when we tap into that history, when we start playing into that culture, cultural paradigm to identify who we are, to know who we are, that that that's where the power lies, and that's the joy of attending an HBCU. It's not that when you go to an HBCU, you're going to get this whole, oh, everything, black, 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 history, history, history. You're getting black, 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 because when you walk down the hallways, you see the, these visuals on the wall of the people who have been through there, your professors, your peers, black people from everywhere. We are diversity. You know what I'm saying? HBCU is our inclusion. So those are the things, you know, like I think is why, like, that piece is so important. But to hit that on that, you know, uh, focus into that culturally rooted programming. He, he, what he nah, said nah. on that on that piece was, was live. I, I mean, it, the audio wasn't the best, but, yeah, that's what I got from that, too. No, I love it. Um, I'll, I'll go to Derek. The, um, 609, we'll get to you out of, out of the break. Um, but go ahead, brother. Um, again, I think, and you mentioned it in that piece, what happens is we often as a as a, a culture or community, if you will, when we think of history, we just shoot to that negative, you know, I don't want to, you know, focus on the past because all we think of it is that from enslavement on, right? Like that's the part that makes us not want to check back or whatever, not realizing even from that point on, there's a million heroes that are not going to be shared with you at the public school system. So obviously there's history prior to enslavement, but I also even challenge even going when we go back further, I always challenge like, when we will say we built the country, but we don't even teach how we built the country. And you're a real, you're very enamored with current heroes. So that's something I love that you do, Derek. So you got about a minute before we go to break. So you give me a short response. We'll go to break and get to the caller after that. There's a quote by John Henry Clark. He says, history to a people is like a relationship to a mother to his child. So that's mm. that connection between us and our people, right? And I had the opportunity to see African-American history. Um, at May, I took them. I was like, if I get if I get a chance to teach Black history, I'm gonna teach it. And the first thing, I, and first thing my students said, so what we gonna learn about slavery? All the students said that. What we gonna yeah. learn about slavery? Yeah. And I was like, we see ourselves just <laughs> like because our historical context, because our historical context and time, and we gotta erase that narrative. We can't raise up teaching our babies yeah. from slavery. We gotta raise up teaching our babies uh-huh. before the slavery history. And slavery was only a small one percent of the Black history of African history that we got going on. I know y'all mm-hmm. mentioned that. Yeah. I love it, yeah. man. We're going to go to this break. We're going to get to the call of perfect response. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, are you a wine drinker? Eh, a little bit here and there, but, but my wife definitely loves her. 
Why you ask? Man, you got to try this vegan wine by Sip and Share Wine. I ran across them at this event in Atlanta, and now I keep me a few bottles at the house. What, what flavor you like? Um, I mean, I like me a good red or, or maybe a nice dipping deal or something. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Try this sweet red first. Hmm. Okay, that's, that's, that's nice and smooth right there. Yeah, that's kind of sweet like I like it. You know what I'm talking about? For sure. That's why I like that one as well. Hey, hey, now try this Conjure Zippendale. This one was featured in Forbes magazine as a top 10 drink for the summer. See what you think. Oh, okay. Now that's fire right there. Where can I get a bottle of that? Just go to sippandsharewines.com. They'll ship it right to your door. They black on too. Oh, yeah? Okay, you said what? Shippingsharewines.com, is that it? Yep. Bad. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go and what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. Don't test my gangster, Derek. I know I'm I'm with you on the quotes from the from, from the end. <laughs> I see you good, sir. I see you. Hey, hey. I was like, let me let me get a little production in here. You know, I got to be on the talk show too, but let me produce the live on the show. You know what I mean? I ain't even had that prepared, but since you brought it out, I was like, let me let me reach back in the on the production side of things, see if I can throw that in there, throw that in there, man. Uh, but yeah, I had about perfect time and everything too. Uh, yeah, perfect timing, absolutely. But with that said, we are back on the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Let's get to this caller out here. If you want to be like this caller, you can call in at 646-787-1691. You do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. I see several callers out there. Again, if you're just listening via the phone, no problem, but you do have to press 1. 609, last three, eight oh eight nine one. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Good morning. This is Marilyn. Good morning, Montoya. Hey, man, how are you? How you doing, Queen? What you got for us? Um, well, um, you know, when there's so much to say on this subject, uh, history to us, we have we have African history, okay, and then there's Black American history or African American history. There are two sections there, and we don't open up the African history our history before being enslaved and and, and coming here. We also have to look at African-American history as a proud people and not an embarrassed people or a shameful people. Jewish people, every chance they get, they will tell you about the Holocaust with, with no exception, with no shame in their game. And we will not embrace our experience here, horrific as it was, it wasn't something that, was by desire, it was by design. Okay, but we have to take ourselves back to our original man. When, when, I, when I present my resume and my cover letter, I put down there she is an African female born in America. Okay? I'm an African. I'm an African female that was just born here. 
So we have to, like someone else said, and like I say all the time, we have to create our own narrative. Stop having people name Mm -hmm. us and claim us. We are a full body of work in ourselves, and we have to embrace Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I right I'm sorry, say it again. I said I claim myself as African in America. Uh, I don't say African American. I say African in America. But thank you for that. Jinda, <laughs> uh, any thoughts to our caller? No, nah, that's solid. We have to begin to tell our stories. And like the brother said, like uh, enslavement was only a small something of that. You know, and that's one of the things that I do take pride in when it comes to uh, our coming of age rites of passage. We don't just explore um, uh, what was, you know, what was done here in America. We go back and we explore uh, the women and men that impacted and, you know, that, that, that work, that body of work as well. I love it. Thank you, Marilyn, for those thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge those thoughts. Um, if you uh, come off the one and get back one back in, I'll let you as well, but I'm pretty sure both of my guests are going to challenge me on this thought because I will say gladly, and again, I don't, and, and it's not just to create an argument on the show, but we are meant to dialogue. So when we hear a thought, that's what we do, right? We challenge it to get to have discussion and nuance. And I, and, and it's, it's going to slightly probably take us off of the conversation because I want to get back to empowering our youth. But I will highlight that I have no pro- problem saying I am proud or a proud African-American. I think it's a choice. I have no issue with how all of you see it. However, I like to highlight we've done so much damn much in this country. It To me, it is crazy not to claim with everything that we've done, because what I what what, what Marilyn even highlighted in saying there's African history, there's Black American history, and as I said a few few earlier in the show, we want to like Derek said, the kids say, "Hey, I'm gonna teach history," and they go, "What are we gonna learn about slavery?" Like that that's just a portion of the history in this country, because if we highlight all of the doings and all of the things that we have been a part of of this country being exactly what it is, I'm clueless on how we do not take ownership. We, and, and whether by choice or not, we fought in every war but one since the existence of this country, most, more times mm-hmm. by choice than not, right? We've been, we, we, we designed the Capitol. I mean, it's, you know, there's a million things that we've done for why would you not take ownership kind of reality so the reality is yeah most people came here by choice we did not come here by choice that is a huge distinction but the reality is people take ownership of the new place if they've played a role who's played a bigger role than us so it's just a challenge to get y'all thoughts on it and then we'll get back to focus on the show go ahead queen yeah, I take pride in both. And when I'm educating my girls, both of those, both worlds are a part of that curriculum. You know what I'm saying? John Henry Clark had put it best, though. You know, he says the first part of that ethnicity is that, that, that identity of being African-American. African, the first part is, is um, like, where, where you're from, like, like, like where your people from, right? And the second part is where you live at. Okay, <laughs> so I take pride in on both sides of that paradigm because you're absolutely paradigm because you're absolutely right. You know what I'm saying? We, we're the best of both worlds. 
you know what I'm saying, continents and countries. So, indeed, I don't negate, like, one for the other one. I don't skip over the African-American uh, experience and just go to the motherland. You know, we, we explore all of that because that, that's all of our work. That That is our work, as a sister had mentioned a while ago. So it's not an well, either-or for me. They both are mutually no, important. In fact, yeah, I just I had a conversation. Let me jump in, Judah. Let me jump in, Judah, because I want to keep Derek, yeah, get a response. We've got another caller, and Marilyn wants to get back in as well, I think. But go ahead, um, Derek. Just your thoughts, again, not trying to decide how anybody should feel. I just wanted to put the challenge out there. Your thoughts, King. I agree with you indirectly. Um, the, me and mine, the way I'm brought up, man, I think all history is African history. African African was the, was right. the originator of all humankind <laughs> and mankind. So. If you left Africa and went to Europe, that's an African colony. You just lost your melanin. You know, if you left Africa and went to Asia, that's an African colony. You just lost your melanin. You know, we, we know stories of people who, uh, who founded these other civilizations outside of Africa. Their originators had black melanated skin. So they're African. They just got demelanated. And now, you know, through the demelanation process, we came up with this new culture. Um, but it's all African. It's all African, man. So that's just me. That's just me and my American history. You yeah, can't talk about to have America without talking about black folks. Yeah, American history is African. Fair enough for you to have that thought. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll say this, and I'm going to go to the caller. Um, fair enough for you to have that thought. I'll say if you get into uh, science and DNA, not in the, in the human um, geography and moving around, how humans move, um, I think you would find that to be a little different from a scientific perspective. But again, just throwing it out there, not changing today's conversation. All right, let's go with area code four seven eight last three three zero three. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Peace, family. It's uh, sincere calling from Atlanta, and uh, I love the discussion. I love hey, the discussion. Uh, <laughs> how's everybody feeling? Peace and love. Good, good. Good, good. Um, I, I love the discussion because I work with youth um, just about every weekend. I'm spending time with our uh, young boys, young kings, uh, in training, uh, we call them, and uh, also young girls, um, young men and young women. But uh, one of the things uh, that I teach them, and I love that y'all played the uh, clip by uh, Dr. John Henry Clark, one of our great warrior scholars, um, the conversation on our African uh, origin, we have to talk about that more and how it's connected to divinity as well, right? So so not just that we're African, but we're the closest thing to the creator. Science says so, and the spiritual element says so as well. Uh, and as one of our great, great scholars uh, put it, um, Baba Kaba Kamene, he talks about the fact that science is unse- uh, science is seen spirituality, and spirituality is unseen science. So if we're not connecting both, we're missing out on a key element, not only of our origin, but where we are and who we are to this very point and to this very day. And that's how we empower and encourage our children, our youth, um, they have to have those two elements because those are the most important elements of their educational process. Uh, so I love the conversation. Just wanted to make that, uh, make that point, make that uh, comment that we are the divine origin, the divine origin of humanity. So we have to start there. 
Hey, love the thoughts, man. Appreciate appreciate it. And then at the end of the day, here well, well, absolutely. You know, you know me very well, so I'm, I'm, you know, I stay stuck in the scientific mind, right? And again, not to um, just simply push back, but I'll highlight that at the end of the day, where I know we agree is showing our children themselves in a way we know they're not going to see without our assistance, and that's what's imperative. And I've had a psychologist come on the show and say, um, like, this is, I always use this example because it, it highlights when we're talking about, you know, do we really care about empowering our youth? And and I'll make the connection with the psychologist. We were doing a show about uh, what can parents teach their um, children in reference to being stopped by the police, which obviously is a, you know, an issue that comes up, unfortunately, from time to time in our community. But in talking to the psychologist, I thought she was going to give the parents like game on, you know, just to how to, how to psychologically train their children to handle the moment. Right. I was expecting it to be these steps. And she literally just said, teach them who they are. Hmm. And so hmm. on the show live, I was thrown off on the air. Right. Okay. This is to, you know, kind of to your point sincere. So, on the show, I'm going to off because I'm expecting it to be like, you know, she's a psychologist. Give the key, let the parents out there listen, get one, two, three, four steps. You know what I mean? I just assume she's going to give some steps out. And so I'm kind of pausing on the yeah. show, and I'm like, okay, Queen Go, he was a um, uh, woman psychologist. And so I said, go, help me understand more what you're saying. And she goes, if our black children know themselves to the, mm-hmm. all the points that all of y'all are making in the manner mm-hmm. that all of you are making the work that y'all all do. She goes, if our black children know who they are and confident in themselves, she says, people who have value in themselves make smarter decisions in dangerous moments. Absolutely. I've seen it time and time again. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I love so it. she want to do our children to rely, and she, cause she's saying she was pointing out because that's what our black children are not getting in general. So in that moment, they're 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 only fearful of what they've seen on TV. You know how much how often we highlight from a psychological standpoint of why you shouldn't watch these police stops, why you shouldn't watch these police shootings, and we've had psychologists speak to that part as well. That's a whole other story, so I won't go deep into that. But I just love that she laid it there. I didn't see it coming. But I understood it because I've always understood the value of his story, our story, in the right manner versus a lot of us feel just like those kids that walked in Derek's school. We still think of it the same way they did. He said I lo- he wanted to teach history, and all the kids said, what are we going to learn about slavery? Like as adults, we should own a lot of us feel that way, and if we feel that way, we're skipping mm-hmm. everything. That Jediah, that Sincere just called in, and our special guest Derek is speaking to. So, brother, I'll kind of let you jump, go in right there. Thank you, Sincere, for that beautiful call. Thank you, King. I appreciate you too, family. Peace and love. Yeah, Derek, your thoughts. I know I said a lot there, but I, oh, actually, you know what, brother? I'm sorry. I, I, I walked to the break. Let me do this break, and I'll let you come respond out of the break, if you will. Um, there, um, Derek. Doc, I'm sorry. I'm gonna fact. Let me do this right, Doctor Standifer. Let me put. Let me. Let me. Let me give you your due, brother, Doctor right Standifer. I'm, right I apologize for not even recognizing it. Hey, for the rest of the show, Jendai, this brother is Doctor Standifer. Let's get it right. Hi, right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. 
Babe, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most It's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies' gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go, and everywhere I be, be, I don't even talk, talk, they still know with me. Because I look like money, smell like money, talk like money, even walk like money. That day, Mr. West became invisible. And so we began to go through the process of trying to identify what is it that causes young African-American males to disengage from school? What is it that they're experiencing? And we found out the number one factor contributing to disengagement is our young African-American males do not make the critical connection between education and their future financial well-being. In other words, how is the stuff you're teaching me in school going to get me paid? How is an A on a report card equal a $100 bill? Because I guarantee you one thing, that there are always two things on a child's mind who comes from poverty. And those two things are food and money. I'm hungry. I need to eat. I need money to buy some clothes. And if you can't tell me how education is going to get me one or the other or both, I may disengage. We went throughout the districts across the country, and we surveyed over 1,000 students, and we found out 68% of those students did not make that critical connection. Two different students show up in the classroom. One understands how pedagogy and education leads to future well-being, financial well-being. The other shows up and does not make the critical connection. The teacher disseminates pedagogy to both the same way. After a while, an education gap is imminent. We created a specialized curriculum that helped our young people make that critical connection. And as a result of doing that, we took a group of students from sagging to suits and from dropout to graduation. Because we began to understand the strategies in terms of what was necessary to make them make the critical connection. And so when you began to understand Our young African-American males, it's not that they don't want to be educated. It's not that they can't comprehend. I'm sure you watched the movie straight up. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Daya Hill-Jones. This morning's discussion question, empowering black youth, do we really care? Our special guest is Dr. Derek Standifer. If you will, Dr. Stanford, I'll let you respond. That is from a TED Talk. I always forgot to get the person's name. I usually want to try to give credit where credit's due. Um, but I'll just kind of let you respond, and I want to connect this dot before you respond again. Do Empowering black youth, do we really care? Obviously, this is something that you do also, 
like our last guest, if you will, for a living to a degree. And I just want to highlight that do we really care is we have a lot of dialogues about the youth and we'll say they need to get their education. And like many of us in those conversations, we're not connecting the dots similar to the teacher that we heard in that cut cut that said, hey, she taught pedigree to both students, but not realizing one was not connecting the dots to their well-being. Once one one um, did well, the other more than likely did not because we did not connect the dot. And that cut talks about how often that is happening to our young boys in the educational system. And I would highlight without the history, who they are is part of the beginning of connecting that dot to get this part of the education that's connected to your finances. We're not doing that, and we're just saying the boys are wayward. We're saying that the black girls are just surpassing them. Your thoughts, King? Um, wholeheartedly concur. Uh, you know, I, I know y'all know this. Like, everybody on this panel has seen this before. Like, when a black person is smart, they're all, always deemed as acting white. Why are you acting white? If they talk proper. Why are you talking white? You talk white. You act white. And so our young people, you know, innately associate being smart, a.k.a. school, with being white. So that's not our, that's not our go-to for, you know, getting our, our riches and getting our money. Our go-to is entertainment. Oh, we can entertain. That's our thing. That's a black thing. Um, so, you know, a lot of you ask a young boy what they want to do, a young girl what they want to do. It's always in the entertainment field. It's never in education. It's rarely in education. So, um, like, I did a – I showed my students a doll test about young black boys and girls and how they associated themselves in comparison to white. And the white dog got all the fine remarks and the black dog got all the demonic remarks. And until we change that narrative at a young, early age, like and, and, and as a baby, your baby needs to be playing with black dogs. They, they view themselves how they interact. If they're playing with white dogs, they're going to glorify whiteness. Um, if you have images, you know, even to the basis of their religion, if you have an image of a white Jesus in your house, your kid going to associate glorification and the deity with white. You know, it's a lot of brainwashing that we got to undo. That is, and I, but it's really in our DNA after 400 years or 500 years of enslavement and stuff is embedded in our DNA. And we got to, we got to change it at an at a, at a early level. You know, when we watch a kid, when we watch a kid's cartoon with our, with our babies, when they're babies, they need to be watching black images. They need to be watching black characters playing with black dolls, you know, and, and being indoctrinated with, with, with our black heroes. We shouldn't teach them George Washington. We need to teach them Frederick Douglass and, you know, uh, M. Hotel and, you know, those those images. So. Yeah, I, like I appreciate the thoughts. Um, okay, go jump in, Jadon. I'm going to go back to Marilyn. I think she wants to jump back in. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I think, like, to his point, though, in, in regards of, like, you know, how, like, some kids are getting in and some kids are not, because, like, well, you're going to schools that are not giving you tools where it makes sense outside of school. That's kind of, like, what I'm taking away from it. Like, how does, how does this benefit me financially, especially if you're coming right, from an impoverished right. state? You know what I'm saying? I know for my son, uh, we'd be considered middle class, according to these numbers, okay, but that's something else, you know? <laughs> But even with my son, my, all three of my sons have, have have gotten to a point in school, why am I here? How can I apply this? So like, oh, this stuff oh. doesn't have nothing to do with what's happening or what's going on, you know. what you know. And so it's like we're having to send we're sending our kids to school that we're paying taxes for that are not really in, in real life giving them shit that happens in real time that they can actually use and apply so they get frustrated and then you begin to lose them, which is why, like, for my, especially for my youngest son, 
Okay, I got you. Since he couldn't get it there, he started it at home. His mama got a business. He wanted one. Let's do it. If you do this, I'm going to do that. You know, give him the tools to create something outside of that paradigm. Because some of the stuff, yeah, you can use, but in real time, it's like, yeah, you can make money now. You you can definitely find, begin to financially learn how this thing go and implement those things. So we do need more of that especially when it comes to inner city youth because, you know, what they're trying to eat. And schools ain't out here. They're no longer even teaching trades in schools. So it's like what happens after school if you don't go to college, you know? So mm. I, I agree nah, with what the brother was saying, more so about, like, the finances than, than how we identify in rates because, you know what I'm saying, if you had a black school, it ain't the, the smart kids ain't considered white, not, not in the hood, I mean. You know what I'm saying? We all trying to eat. <laughs> it's really about no, the curriculum, not being able to accommodate, like, yeah. what the true needs yeah. are after graduation. Now, let me jump into some because we've actually got a couple callers now. And so what I, what I, what I would love to highlight is, um, you know, if, if the reality is, which I think we all know because we've done shows on it, the reality is, especially the public schools, right, um, you know, you know, we we applaud the who academies who are out there teaching our children the way we want them to be taught, right? Those type of schools. But like for example, the public schools, we all kind of come to this consensus, and so it becomes imperative that we respond to a, something that we know. We know they're not going to do it, so the push has to be: Do we really care? Do we care enough to do the part that we need to do ourselves? Since we know that's a part the school won't do that. That's where I'll say it comes mm-hmm. from us. Brother Pianchi wants yeah. to get out, get on the stage. Uh, Marilyn, I'll get back to you. Uh, we get, always do first-time callers on repeat before p- repeat callers. So I'm going to go to Brother Pianchi, then back to Marilyn. All right, Brother Pianchi, what you got for us, King? How you out, you out of you know, today? How you doing, Montoya and your guests? You know, you got people have to come to the realize that everybody is not going <clears> to <throat> make this goal that's set. Do, do, do all – do all the boys make the basketball or the football team that they try out for? They don't do it. And I was involved with putting, helping to put African-centered curriculums in public schools. And you had the curriculum throughout the entire Detroit public school system. I've seen African-centered schools start, like Pomoja here in St. Louis. But after a period of time, when that effort by that initial group of parents fades away, then it goes back to as it was. So the best way in the way that you see other groups do it, like them Africans that come from the continent, those first, second, third generation born, that's parental and family involvement with that child. And then, too, if that child, I mean, you can have all the parental and family Involvement that you want, but a child is not going to be a Kobe Bryant if they don't have what it takes to be one. It can be something, but it may not be what it is that you want to be. That's the realization. You you can have all the black baby dolls. You can have all the pictures on the wall, all the subjects, the songs, the chants, the drum set. You still got to get down to the basis of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Of course, they have taken on different names now. But that's just the. I mean, I'm just that's the way it is. It's not all with quick, black and white too. Let me ask. Let me ask you this. Yeah, let me ask you this real quick, brother Pianchi. Um, so, uh, just to be clear, we're not saying don't get down to the basics, though. I'm just adding. Do you see value in, as you're pointing out, the basics matter, 
They are the foundation, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, getting the old three R's. I remember that, like you said, the way they used to say it, but still same concept right now. So if all we're really saying is, yes, teach the three R's, but put the pictures and give them the books to read to look like themselves. Mm-hmm. So do you see the value wow. in they did that. teaching the three they R's? They did that, but they couldn't. They did that, Montoya. They did that. Like I told you, this schools had all those things. Detroit Public Schools had a curriculum. Every other uh, subject matter, even gym, was based on something having to do with what they would call African Center. They had a school called Medicine Bear that was Native American Center. In New York, they had Italian Center schools. Right. Let me get off here, but when the student was test, they they was not passed. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. What you're not hearing me say is teach the three R's. Oh, you've been getting that if you want to. Some of them rejected that, Montoya. Yeah, yeah. Listen to what I'm saying. So I'm just saying highlight that there's a both conversation here versus you're having the dialogue about where, hey, they put in these things, but they didn't have the basis covered. Like we're not even pushing for that. So I I get you explaining these real-life examples where – people who didn't have the basic three R's, right? They gave them the things that you're talking about, and it did not. That Because we, we're not saying that alone is what they need. So I just no, want to clarify not. that you're having a dialogue. Yeah, and there, are, right. there are studies, there are studies right, right. that but show that culturally rooted right. programs. Go ahead. I'm sorry, what you saying? No, no, I'm saying go ahead. Well, I, I, I want you to finish. Yeah, go I was going to say no, that let there are studies that show there are studies that show, like, culturally rooted programs, like, help counteract them negative stereotypes. It improves academic success as well as build self-esteem and confidence in kids. So I don't I don't know what schools they was at, but there are there are several studies that, like, kind of counter that. Like, when you implement, like, that culture, culturally rooted programs into curriculum, there are studies that show that it does make a difference. No, I love it. And, you, you know, it's, it's the, the responsibility of the curriculum the responsibility of the curriculum is to the community. Community can have any curriculum they want in Missouri, anyone that they want, as long as when the times come to measure those children in those areas, they have to show that they are mastering of those things and mastering the science. I agree 100%. Thank you, brother. Yeah, now, now, yeah, we up on another break, but thank you, brother Pianki, for the talk. And yeah, in the nuance, in the nuance that I would clarify, even in what you are saying, um, Jendaya, because you are right, those studies do exist. At the end of the day, if we just connect, we're not saying anything, and you know this as well. We're saying they both go together, so there are studies. It doesn't counteract exactly what he's saying, right. what he's talking about. What he's talking about is situations where the three R's were not foundationally in place anyway, and so. You know, so he's confusing what we're saying as though, you know, those schools came in and swooped in and brought in this cultural value, value, but they hadn't fixed, you know, if the kid don't know how to read, the kid don't know how to read. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you can't use that as an example to negate what we're saying because we're not, because we're, because the bottom line is we're not saying that. We're saying to our parents, add on to what we know they need. And that's what I think Brother Pianki is missing in our conversation. We'll be right back and listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. But all I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good it should be illegal. 
But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. In 1964, President Lyndon Johnson created a new federal office accountable to the president, the Office for Civil Rights. Its first task was to desegregate public schools in the South. But soon, they started noticing that some schools were segregating their students without actually calling it segregation. A lot of the black students would be labeled disabled and removed from the mainstream classroom, so they wound up segregated. Daniel Lawson studies school discipline. For years, he's been sounding the alarm about how much school black students are missing due to suspensions. The data he uses in his reports comes from the Office for Civil Rights. In the 1970s, they started requiring schools to report how many students they classified as disabled. Plus, suspensions and expulsions all broken down by race and gender. Over the next few decades, those numbers went up as more punitive ideas about discipline took hold in American schools. Well, in some schools. Gangs and drugs have taken over our streets and undermined our schools. The idea that if you don't, you know, throw the book at kids when they're young for every little thing that they're gonna turn into criminals. Never any research to show that it actually worked. You never see that in schools serving mostly white kids. But in 2011, a new report out of Texas started to cast doubt on that approach. The study looked at discipline records for almost a million students. It tracked the same kids from seventh grade all the way through high school. The results were stunning. Nearly 60% of students had been suspended or expelled at least once. The study also showed that black students facing school discipline for the first time tended to get harsher punishments than white students. And the more disciplinary violations a student received, the more likely they were to drop out. Clearly, Texas had a big problem. The question now was if the problem was bigger than Texas. To figure that out, the Obama administration turned to the data set that the Office for Civil Rights had built. That's how they learned this was a nationwide problem. African-American students are over three times more likely than their white peers to be suspended or expelled often for very similar offenses. They also discovered that the vast majority of suspensions were for behaviors like talking back, using profanity, or violating the dress code. Nonviolent student behaviors, many of which once meant a phone call home. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest, Jendaya Hill-Jones. This morning's discussion question, empowering black youth, do we really care? Our special guest is Dr. Derek Standifer. Uh, you hear a cut that breaks down decades of what, again, we already know, but the other aspect of leaving our children in a system that sees them in a way, in a manner that's going to possibly have some of them missing schools for little to much of a reason, if you will, 
And I would say, Dr. Stedford, your work is directly related to negating what we just heard. So if I could have you speak to that before I jump to Marilyn to call. Um, again, thank you for this. Um, so I have a thought. I know the boy was talking about the kids like selling water, right, and how to bridge the gap between school and money and how to provide for your family. Don't get those financial services that they need, like taxes, how to file taxes, how to budget your money. You don't learn none of that stuff until you get grown. And then it's trial by error. And then we in survival mode. Okay, cool. So we don't know how to budget. We don't know how to stretch our money. We don't know, like, those are the things that need to be implemented in the curriculum because those are the things that kind of set you up for, for, for life. You know, it's like kind of teaching a bird how to swim. We've been teaching our birds how to swim for the last seven years. And we need to teach our birds how to fly because, the you know, the, the current education system is kind of antiquated and it's not directly related to what black kids can directly implement. Now, if you're teaching me how to buy low and sell high, I can do that by going to buy cases of water and selling it, and I know how to maintain profit margins and all this stuff. But that's not what we're learning. If we learn that, the kids, man, have a – I agree with – somebody said it. The kids have a lot more interest in, in school and pay a lot more attention. If we say, okay, cool, all kids need to start a business right now, and we need to go through the process right now. Y'all need to start it, implement it, and press play on it. I wholeheartedly agree with that concept, man, implementing those skills in our, in our young people right now. Right, and so I'll say for for the point of this show, if you will, so it, it goes beyond that good idea because often we all say, they, oh, they don't teach us that. And so that dialogue has to be any of us that's saying it, either like to Brother Pianchi's point, um, in some school districts you can really control what goes in the curriculum, and a lot of curricul- school systems are that way. Typically we don't know because we're in survival mode don't quite understand how the politics of that work, but we can get those things in our system, especially in in places where we're aggregated, uh, like Atlanta, for example, if we really wanted to. But that requires, you know, more work than just you and I on this phone agreeing that it's a good idea. So that's one option if we want it in the curriculum. Then the other one, if we really care, again, to the point of this show, is since we know they don't do it, then that's an onus. If for those of us who are not in survival mode, then it becomes imperative that we take the step. And sometimes we're not doing that. So the challenge is if we really care, we can't just leave it at the school should be teaching it because a lot of times we love to make that there. Um, Jendai, I think you was about to say something. I'm going to Maryland. Yeah, I was I was agreeing. If it's not there, then we create it. Uh, if it's not there, then you show up at the school board's meeting and require it. You know, so versus it just leaving it there. Like there are actions that we can actually implement to make those things happen. You know, right, absolutely. We bring it to them and require and re, we bring it to them, but also require the system to do it. I want to add on to that point. Let me, let me, let me, let me jump to the caller. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me just jump to the caller because I've been having to wait for a while. Uh, Marilyn, you want to jump back in? I'm going to let you, if you will, make a quick comment, then I'm going to go back to Dr. Stanford. A quick comment. First, I want to go back to this African, African-American thing. Everything doesn't have to be. I don't know if I'm going to let you. I don't know if I'm going to let you. Everything doesn't have to be either or. Sometimes it's both and. You know, people are always giving you a choice, but sometimes it's your choice, and the choice is both and. Getting back to the curriculum for students and the HBCUs, when I came up, I was schooled in a Christian school. And with the reading, writing, and arithmetic, there was a solid Christian foundation. Why am I saying that? Because when we send our children to HBCU schools, there should be a solid uh, uh, black 
curriculum Experience. with all the right. other things that no. they learned. You know, that's the reason for sending them to an HBCU. They were started by religious groups. Most of them are AME Church Foundation. You know, so there should definitely be a culture of black culture within these HBCUs. So you can bring them out a whole person. You know, otherwise no, they can no. go anywhere. No, I love it. No, absolutely. Here's a reality just to highlight this again. It's not like you say, everything's a both and, not a either or. But even unfortunately, as much as both of these rattlers are proud of being from FAMU, uh, we even know that, that to a degree you can even go to some HBCUs and still get African history as an elective. So to your point, um, to your point, wow. Marilyn, it's something that wow. some of us need to think about. So thank you for your thoughts, Queen. I did not stand for we'll jump back to you. Oh, um, back to the the other uh, the other host, Cole's uh, point. I said we can bring it home on um, bringing back the art of apprenticeship. We got a lot of black business owners in our communities, and we can open up a spot where an aspiring business owner in that field can come in and just kind of shadow, shadow behind the scenes. Hey, if you own a clothing store, I got some kids who want to learn how to start a clothing business. Can we get in and show them the behind-the-scenes stuff? I got a kid that know how to cook. Can we send them to a black restaurant and show them the behind-the-scenes stuff of making a business and operating a business, show them profit, loss margins, and how, you know, how we can implement these skills and profitize off our businesses? All of these kids on social media, they're in an age right now where kids are profiting and making a lot of money on social media. Um, man, it'll be, a, it'll be a beautiful thing if we can teach our young black kids who spend eight hours a day on social media how to make money on social media instead of just posing, as opposed to just being there, just scrolling, you know, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So if we can go to the business. No, no, I love it. I love it. No, I love it. Because you're highlighting how the world learned before the concept of public school existed, which is kind of newer, right? It's a newer concept to human history, if you will. And so prior to that, it was, what is this? skill set, go learn under them through apprenticeship. And again, that still happens some places, but we've kind of lost that concept. And I, to your point, based on these things, yeah, if, we, if we're not going to get together from a political standpoint in our own district and ensure that the things that we would like for our children to learn, because we, again, we are able to do it versus sitting around complaining about it. But if we're not going to do that, then yeah, it should be very easy to say, all right, my child, you know, has this skill set, uh, they have this desire, then, yes, let's get connected. And that's the type of stuff we do in the community club, um, Derek. You know, again, thank you for coming out to the live experience last Friday. But I've mentioned to you, based on who you are, uh, you know, I would love to get you in our fold and be one of our members because that's the type of stuff that we want to be able to do. We want to be able, if you remember when we had that section where we said community needs, you know, I won't parents to think beyond just their own needs and say, yeah, my kid wants to go into that. And we have people in different fields. We have people in government contracting, in uh, psychology, and finance. So we have people in those fields that can do the very thing you just said just by you offering the idea on the show today. You and I, we can make that happen in this community club that's a nationwide club, man. So just want to kind of Throw a little plug in there for what we do, not just this show on Saturday mornings, but the club is a real organic nationwide virtual neighborhood where African-Americans learn to trade goods, ideas, and services. And I'm mad that you did that if you actually needed a psychologist and put it out on Facebook and then call us first because you're a member. Supposed to make sure your resource that you have in hand is used before you just ask the whole world for people. Again, I don't know what you were doing with that question, but I'm just reminding you, you are part of this community, Queen. Do not forget. 
connected. We're not just dialoguing. We are dialoguing and connecting. With that said, Dr. Sandiford, if you will, thank you for an amazing show. Let people know how they can follow your work and get your teachings, if you will, before we close out this show. Thank you, King, for being on with us this morning. Thank you Let's for the opportunity. Um, Lilarch, L-I-L-A-R-C underscore. It's the acronym for Life is Like a Rubik's Cube. I actually teach young black people how to solve Rubik's Cube to build confidence. So it's Life is Like a Rubik's Cube um, on all platforms. I uh, love it. Zendaya, how can they stay in contact with you, Queen? Again, if you need those psychologists, let, hit me on the text. I got you. Cool. I'm hit you up after this. But, yeah, absolutely. Check me out on social media, Women Divine NFP, where we educate, inspire, and empower, as well as at the at symbol Black Grown and Married. Uh, but you got to be in a relationship, and both of y'all need to be black to chime in, okay, and or married. All right. Love it. See y'all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think.